Autism, also known as autism spectrum disorder, is characterized by symptoms that include impairments in social communication and interaction, and restricted and repetitive behaviors. Although the neuroscience of autism is still poorly understood, autism is considered to be a complex developmental disorder that involves atypical brain organizations starting early in development. Individuals with autism often experience a period of unusually rapid brain growth in infancy and early childhood. This accelerated brain growth is linked to an atypical pattern of connectivity between brain regions. A number of studies report that alterations in brain circuitry involved with social interaction and attention can be detected well before the symptoms of autism begin to appear. At this point, however, it's unclear how brain overgrowth and atypical connectivity might be linked to the occurrence of autism symptoms. Research suggests that the risk of autism is strongly influenced by genetics. Yet studies consistently report that environmental factors also play a large role. Although a number of potential environmental factors have been identified, the risk factors for autism are far from definitive, and it remains unclear which factors are responsible for causing an increase in autism risk and which are associated in a non-causal way. The risk factors that are most strongly linked to autism are associated with the prenatal or perinatal period. Thus, it's possible they might be responsible for disruptions to typical neural development leading to symptoms of autism months or years later. How these risk factors might interfere with neural development is still uncertain, but hypotheses have suggested potential mechanisms such as epigenetic effects, inflammation, oxidative stress, or damage caused by oxygen deficiency. More work needs to be done, however, to fully elucidate the genetic and environmental risk factors for autism, as well as the mechanisms for the development of autism symptoms. to pull up a chair. You might not have time for a snack. If your snack is in a plastic container, you might want to set it aside for right now. Let's talk about autism. What do I think about autism? Well, I'll be getting there. I do have some thoughts. But first, let's start with a couple things. Um, the railroad strikers in this country looks like they may be going out on strike. Well, typical bad employee treatment the rail companies owned by Buffett and all of them are making record profits. Employees are making next to nothing. They're on full-time call. Pretty bad situation. But what I picked up on this rail strike is what do rail cars travel around with? Well, one thing they travel around with is chlorine and things for treating water. Pretty soon we're going to all be like Mississippi. I hope you're getting prepared. I hope you have your portable bidets. I hope you have everything organized because water is going to be a really big issue. Okay, let's talk a little bit about some of this Tylenol business. There's a new lawsuit out about Tylenol and autism. Tylenol is a common over-the-counter drug used to treat pain and reduce fever. Unfortunately, in some cases, it may be doing more harm than good. Based on emerging research conducted by Yale University and Johns Hopkins, there may be a link between mothers who take Tylenol during their pregnancies and the occurrence of neurodivergent con conditions such as autism in their children. This discovery has led to many families to pursue legal action against the makers of these products like Johnson & Johnson. 
Tylenol and manufacturers of generic acetophen are now being accused of promoting their product as safe pain, safe pain relief alternatives during pregnancy, when in fact they may be responsible for causing neurological damage to babies in utero. The health issues or conditions that may be correlated with significant or prolonged Tylenol usage during pregnancy include autism spectrum disorder, also known as ASD, attention deficit disorder, neurodevelopmental problems later in life, IQ level deficits, behavioral issues, early puberty in girls, male fertility problems, undescended testicles. Those are some of the issues they're talking about with this Tylenol during pregnancy lawsuit. Another thing you'll be hearing about with the people who say that um, autism is caused by vaccines, one thing they point to is this thing called Themersal, T-H-I-O-M-E-R-S-A-L. Um, Themersal is a form of mercury, and what they do is they were putting Themersal as an antifungal preservative used in small amounts in some multi-dose vaccines. So if the vial is open and used by multiple patients to prevent, to prevent contamination of the vaccine, Themersal was put into there, okay? And um, they went on to say that, um, but here's the deal, they, went, they, they claim that there was no evidence that the small amount used in the medicines caused harm. Still, it was taken off of most of most most children's vaccines by 2001, at the urging of the American Academy of Pediatrics and the U.S. Public Health Service. At the urging, okay. So yeah, that is um, one thing you'll hear about is mercury in vaccines, and what they're talking about is this thimerosal issue. Because when I first started looking into this, I thought, well. It seemed to me like it was all just about Monsanto and Roundup, and actually it's not quite that same. Um, I talked a little bit about DDT in this show, and I'd like to add a little bit about, to put a little bit more context to DDT. One of the most notorious pesticides is DDT. By 1945, it was used widely in the United States and other countries in homes and agriculture, but due to safety concerns, it was banned in the U.S. However, stopping the use of this chemical has only limited effect on the potential detrimental consequences of DDT as this chemical takes decades to break down in the environment and accumulates in the fatty tissue in organisms. The chemical still, to this day, lingers in our tissues and blood. In the decades since its ban in the U.S., the concentration of DDT in the environment has declined. However, much residue remains. After the product had been banned in the United States, other nations, particularly Hungary, Norway, Sweden, and West Germany, banned it for agricultural use. The U.K. banned the product in 1984, and I think the U.S. banned it in, like, 72. And by the UK banned by 1984, and by 1991, more than 26 countries had placed a total ban on the product. 
In 2004, the Stockholm Convention on Persistent Organic Pollutants restricted the use of DDT. 170 countries ratified the convention, but there's always a catch to these deals, right? So I looked for, is DDT still being used? Well, of course it is. Although the pesticide was banned in many countries, some countries in Africa, Asia, and South America needed the pesticide for mosquito control in order to, in order to reduce the risk of malaria. In 2006, who are you going to call? Supported the indoor use of DDT in African countries where malaria remained a major challenge. The organization stated, who are you going to call? That the benefits of the pesticides to African countries outweighed the adverse effects it had on the environment. India and North Korea have continued the use of the pesticide for agriculture use despite the ban. Approximately 4,000 tons of DDT are produced annually for the vector, yeah, they say they have this control program. It is legal, this is where the catch is, it is legal to manufacture DDT in the United States, though it can only be for exported for use in foreign nations. DDT can only be used in the U.S. for public health emergencies, such as controlling vector diseases, that would be mosquitoes, vectors, mosquitoes. Today, DDT is manufactured in North Korea, India, and China. India remains the largest consumer of the product for vector control and agriculture use. China produces 4,500 metric tons. African countries do not use the product for agriculture purposes, but countries such as Ethiopia, Ethiopia South Africa, Uganda, and Swaziland use it to control malaria. Why would they use this? Well, because it is a cheap, persistent, man-made pesticide that is used in third world countries for the control of malarial mosquitoes. DDT's presence in the United States generally is a result of contamination due to past and present and the half-life Time it takes to break down its concentration is some 40 years. And that's all I know about DDT, which causes birth defects and all kinds of other things. So, what do I think about some of this stuff? Well, before I get there, let me tell you something. Part of this deal is about transhumanism. These people, these psychopaths, these people are not really Jews, okay? Let's just refer to them as psychopaths, okay? The psychopaths in charge, that 1%, do in fact come from royalty. The royalty they've cooked up in their own minds, but still in fact royalty, okay? They're going to be a pretty easy trail to identify and find them, basically by following the money and following their genealogy. But what I'm finding interesting is... In today's show, you'll understand more about the, oh, I don't know, just reckless use of chemicals in our environment and to our groundwater, everything going on. And um, first of all, it doesn't appear like any of this is sustainable, right? I mean, how long could this possibly go on at the level of rampage? It also leads me to a closer date of the last couple hundred years. It also confirms to me that this, the United States is, in fact, 
and experiment. Experiment on the grand scale. They've done quite a few of these things. I mean, they raced through India, robbed or raped that place. They did the same in Germany, and they're doing it here. And I will get a lot more into that later. But yes, this stuff is all very t concerning about all these pesticides and these chemicals. I believe, just I believe, that all of these chemicals, the purpose of these chemicals is to disrupt our hormones. They claim to be making humans, but they're doing a, well, they don't know what they're doing clearly because this is rampant, um, horrible results coming out of all of these things. But I'll let you think for yourself. So what else am I going to be talking about today? Well, I'm going to be talking about the road to figure out autism isn't all that straight. We have a couple of pretty powerful chemicals in this mix that aren't manufactured by Dow or Monsanto called Astrazine. I'll get much more into that. And that has to do about a tale of frogs and fish and men. They have been they have found that they have been converting the sex of frogs because of this chemical astrazine. There's another chemical that's very involved in the um children getting autism, and that is a chemical called Folpet, F-O-L-P-E-T. And another chemical which I was ignorant of, you know, I've seen the ads, BPA. You see all these ads saying, oh, this is BPA-free. Well, I only had been watching BPA out of the corner of my eye, but as it turns out, well, we're not really BPA-free. What they do is once they get caught doing something, they simply just change directions, right? Come up with a new name for something, change it around, come up with a new manufacturer, it is an ongoing effort to, um, well, it appears to me, it's an ongoing effort to destroy our DNA through the use of chemicals. So one would have to argue then, well, what's the next plan? Because they're certainly doing a pretty good job of destruction in this country of people biologically, right? I don't know what the next plan is. I think this is just something that has to do with end times and they seem to think that they can get, get in the human-making business themselves. It appears to me like they don't have a clue what they're talking about. That's why they do all these extraordinary things. You know, and that all comes out of DARPA, or ARPA, but look at DARPA, okay? DARPA is in charge of the Internet. DARPA is likely the employer of all these people on social media spreading all these lies. So what lies do they spread to cover all this stuff? <clears throat> well, the biggest lie is transhumans. They had a lot of people, I would say, of all the people that messaged me, their biggest concern was transhumans and the 5G deal. Well, 5G is a bust, okay? Transhumans, well, where are they with transhumans? Can you show me anything about transhumans that makes a bit of sense? If you want to create that you're a huge big monster, okay, you create it all kinds of ways. You create it by saying that you have all these weapons, okay? Just because the military, and I'll be talking about the military in my closing because they came up with some new deal about not disclosing military things. But anyway, so if you want to convince everybody that you're going to take over and you're the biggest game in town, how do you do that? Well, by saying that you got all these things going on, right? Make people believe that you're already making other humans. That's why they're always talking about, well, robots are going to be taking over at McDonald's. They're not going to need these people. Well, why don't you show me when robots do take over, okay? Then I'll start to believe you because this whole bluff about A1 being so powerful 
this transhuman stuff, it has all been nothing but fake lies created by psychopaths, okay? What they do is they come up with the most extraordinary lies on earth, and I have to give them a great deal of credit because these extraordinary lies work. Why? Because nobody stops and thinks about the logic, okay? So here we are, and because of all these chemicals, we now have autism affecting 1 in 59 children in this country, right? Why? Listen to the show, and you'll have to tell me, what is your conclusion? Do you think autism is about disrupting our chemical system? Is it just one thing and a whole continuum of things that are being done to us? I would say likely, because remember, if they get you to focus on one thing, then you're missing all the other things. Because here again, I thought autism was just chemicals, but I wasn't aware of all the different kinds of chemicals or the lacking of studies in all this. There's a reason why they are claiming to have ignorance around autism. If they had studies about autism, real studies, rather than just these things that say, oh, well, we think it's, we think it's this, we think it's that, because here again, there was some recent new research published by the American Journal of Psychiatry. It had a significant correlation between autism and pesticides. But the specific pesticide it studied was DDT. What about all the other pesticides? See how this works, kids? Because now they can say, well, yeah, but, you know, they're doing all these studies. We're trying to figure out these pesticides. The American Journal of Psychiatry said that it was possibly DDT. But it's not a problem because the U.S. isn't using DDT, right? So that way they leave off a lot of facts. Facts mean that the U.S. is still manufacturing DDT. Maybe they're saying they're not using it here, but as long as they're manufacturing it here, see how this stuff could all become very circular? They have just created this big bluff game, right, to, to convince us they've got all these powers, they're so smart, we're so stupid. And amazingly, we all went along with it. We all went along with the role of being stupid while they played smart. So that's exactly how we got here right now with everybody being poisoned. Because we let them poison us, right? I mean, we were all here, right? We were all here when all this stuff started happening. They told us they were in charge. They told us their scientists knew all this stuff. But really, I don't know. Think for yourself, kids. This stuff looks to me like... They're not, so, they're not so familiar with what they're doing. It looks to me like a lot of fumbling around, and the effort is eugenics and disrupting us. What are they going to replace us with? Well, transhumans is a bust, so I don't know. Thinky, thinky. What exactly is autism? Seems like there's a lot of confusion, so let me read a couple things here. The autism spectrum is a range of neurodevelopmental conditions generally characterized by difficulties in social interactions and communication, repetitive behaviors, intense interests, and unusual responses to sensory stimuli. It is commonly referred to as autism, 
or in the context of a professional diagnosis, it is referred to as autism spectrum disorder, ASD. But the latter term remains controversial among neurodiversity advocates, neurodiversity researchers, and many autistic people due to the use of the word disorder and due to questions about its utility outside of diagnostic contexts. Well, what else is autism? I'm certainly not any scientist, but when I see things with a brain and things misfiring, I start to go through my list in my head. What other diseases have things triggering in the brain? Well, we have Parkinson's. It's a long-term degenerative disorder of the central nervous system, but mainly affects the motor system. Okay, Autism is also a complex disorder of the central nervous system that interferes with the brain's ability to process information. So it looks to me like Parkinson's disease affects the um, central nervous system and the motor system. That's why they're stiff or they shake and all the stuff that Parkinson's has to do with. Go look at my show about Parkinson's and Putin. So, you know, it could be a combination of things. It could be, it, it appears to be something to do with the central nervous system. Okay, so how do we get central nervous system issues? Well, lots of ways, right? So let me finish up here with, um, I'll just go through what they claim is autism, right? Okay, um, given concerns about the appropriateness of the term disorder, Many sources prefer to use just the word autism without any additional words on the basis that it's the least controversial term among people with different perspectives. See, they don't really have a diagnosis for autism. This is what has been curious to me, right? Lots of training is going on now for therapists to learn how to diagnose autism. It seems to have a lot of different, different meanings and ways to take a look at it and no real clear path to the diagnosis because it would probably interfere with what's going on behind the scenes, right? If there's no known real definitive studies, then it always remains a little bit confusing, right? So um, in the United Kingdom, autism spectrum condition is called ASC, autism spectrum conditions, rather than ASD. While psychiatry traditionally classifies autism as a neurodevelopmental disorder, many autistic people, most autistic advocates, and a rapidly increasing number of researchers see autism as part of neodiversity, the natural diversity in human thinking and experience with strengths, differences, and weaknesses. On this view, promoted by autism rights movement, Autism is not pathological, but this does not preclude autistic individuals from being disabled and potentially having high support needs. Well, the causes of autism are not well understood, but are likely linked to altered structures of the brain at birth. There is no official cure for autism, so interventions focus on, for example, finding and learning other modes of communication in a nonverbal autist or applied behavior, 
analyst interventions, which are highly controversial. So what I get out of all of this, and this is what I get out of it, but you will have to see what you get out of it, right? I believe that they are just kind of starting to figure this stuff out, right? A 2018 study has shown that autistic people are more prone to object personification, suggesting that autistic empathy may not may not only be more complex, but also more all-encompassing. Contrary to the popular belief that autistic people lack empathy. Well, psychopaths lack empathy, so a lot of these psychopaths are in charge of these things and inflicting these diseases. So yeah, I could see how they would cook up this idea that autistic kids don't have empathy. Um, I'm not saying that autistic kids lack empathy. I'm not agreeing with them is what I'm saying here. But here's another troubling comment. Moreover, scientists are still trying to determine what causes autism. It is highly is it it is highly heritable and believed to be mainly genetic. But there are many genes involved, and environmental factors may also be relevant. It is unclear why autism commonly co-occurs with ADHD intellectual disabilities, epilepsy, and a range of other conditions. There are ongoing disagreements about what should be included as part of the autism spectrum, whether meaningful subtypes of autism exist, and the significance of autism-associated traits in the wider population. The combination of broader criteria and increased awareness has led to a trend of steadily increasing estimates of autism prevalence, causing a common misconception that there is an autism epidemic and a perpetuated by the myth that it is caused by vaccines. Sounds to me like, you know, there's a whole lot of confusion because we're right now in 2020, right? So what's going on is this, is that... Um, there's also, there's two groups that identify um, what's gone wrong with us, right? <laughs> or what they caused to go wrong. We have the DSM-5, which is a started off as a pamphlet, and it has blown into being a huge, massive book. And the DSM-5 is a book that these people have um, developed to point out all of the crazy things about us, right? And it goes into this book. Well, the DSM-5 is very problematic. I mean, big pharmacists on the board. It started off with a couple of diseases that we have of our brains to now we're just, you know, crazy with all kinds of disorders. Yeah, so that, that all goes into the DSM-5. So um, they also have the ICD, which is the World Health. Who are you going to call? Their international classification of diseases, okay, and it is regarded as the global standard, and it was released in 2018 and came into full effect January 2022, not that long ago, and it described ASD as follows. Autism spectrum disorder is characterized by persistent deficits in the ability to initiate and to sustain reciprocal social interaction and social communication, and by a range of restricted, repetitive, and inflexible patterns of behavior, interests, or activities that are clearly atypical 
or excessive for the individual's age and social cultural context. The onset of the disorder occurs during the developmental period, typically in early childhood, but symptoms may not become fully manifest until later when social demands exceed limited capabilities. Deficits are sufficiently severe to cause impairment in personal, family, social, educational, occupational, or other important areas of functioning and are usually a pervasive feature of the individual's and are usually a pervasive feature of the individual's functioning observable in all settings although they may vary according to social educational and other contexts individuals along the spectrum exhibit a full range of intellectual functioning and language abilities so they have full range of abilities but they have these other things going on right well this um ICD, which is the International Classification of Diseases, was produced by professionals from 55 countries. Out of the 90 countries involved, it's the most widely used anyway. So the ICD is broader in scope than the DSM-5. Um, well, basically what they're saying is um, they don't know. They just don't know. They absolutely do not know. The DSM-5 encompasses previous diagnoses, which include Asperger's, childhood disorder. Well, here's what I think, okay? I think that what we're looking at is this. And let me scan down here before I go off here. Um, Autism has characteristics first appearing during infancy or childhood and generally follows a steady course without remission. Autistic people may be severely impaired in some respects, but average or even superior in others. Overt features gradually begin after the age of six months, become established by age two or three years, and tend to tend see they don't really know this stuff. Tend to continue through adulthood, although often in more muted form. Other aspects, such as atypical eating, are also common but not essential for diagnosis. Clinicians consider assessment for ASD when a patient shows regular difficulties in social interaction or communication, restricted or repetitive behaviors, also called stimming, resistance to change or restricted interests. These features are typically assessed with the following when appropriate problems in obtaining or sustaining employment or education, difficulties in initiating or sustaining social relationships, connections with mental health or learning disability services, a history of neurodevelopmental conditions, including learning disabilities and ADHD or mental health conditions, common signs, avoidance of eye contact, little or no babbling as an infant, Difficult pointing to show interest, not showing interest in, in indicated objects, delayed language skills, reduced interest in other children, difficulty playing reciprocal games like peekaboo, increased sensitivity or unusual response to the smell, texture, resistance, repetitive, limited, or otherwise unusual usage of toys, self-harming, in addition, a small percentage of autistic people can exhibit 
notable ability, for example, in mathematics, music, or artistic reproduction, which in exceptional cases is referred to as Savat syndrome. S-A-V-8, meaning they're highly smart. Okay. Now, I would encourage you to go learn more about autism. I think that they're really learning what they're figuring out. There's a lot of debates over the differential outcomes. There's a whole group of people arguing back and forth. Repetitive behavior, resistance to change, stereotype behaviors, compulsive behaviors. Yeah, they've got them all written up. What I think it looks like to me, and remember, I haven't identified any of these kids. I've never, you know, had a kid autistic within my range. It looks to me like, because of all this confusion about autism, it could be a combination of things. It could highly likely be what is going on with the pesticides, number one, with the autistic children. And I'll be talking about those studies more later. It could be the everything is so polluted in the environment with all the toxicity for, to, to develop autistic children because it pings their brains too hard when they're infants. Uh, so it could be the, um, you know, just the basic general crop and poisons being spread all around. And there's other some other factors at play here. Could be a lot of confusion or, or, or let's say hormone use. I don't know. There's lots of triggers that can go on in the brain. It appears to me that they're triggering the brain to, to get things like Parkinson and stuff. So if a kid gets a shot of some sort of hormone, does it trigger something, you know, they're triggering uh, Parkinson's to be the motor thing, right? The people become stiff and can't move. And the children are also getting nervous order things going on with autism, right? It appears like it's a nervous system disorder. So could it be an injection when they're first born that triggers it? Could it be the injections with the hormones that come maybe possibly with vaccines later on with these children? Triggers it more in some kids than other kids? could be a whole combination of things. Things in the environment, injections they get when they're first born, and injections that they get along the growth pattern when they're getting vaccines. I've done a lot of looking into this. There's a lot of um, charts out there you can take a look at, and this makes more sense to me. The reckless medical um, attention to infants is probably what's developing autism. Same way they're giving themselves Parkinson's. Uh, and so there you got, then you start to spread it out and you get groups going in different directions. You've got people who are 100% that it came from the vaccines. You've got people who are now 100% that it came from the ground. How about if my theory is correct and it came from injections to the children, right? A combination of early, early infant firstborn injections, when they're loading them up with all those injections, all those vaccines, the minute children are born, um, could easily be um, one of these toxic agents. They're, they're finding toxic agents in the soil that has patterns of more autistic children in certain areas. So could it be a combination of things in the soil? So you've got you know, they've been, they've been destroying the soil for the last, you know, couple hundred years. So you get a buildup of things and, and they have to develop more and more dangerous things because, you know, it gets raised up the ante, like you're killing bugs all along the way. And then they come up with super bugs and then you got to come up with stronger pesticides to kill the next level of bugs. And 
while you're going at it, it's all about profits and money, right? It's to do things more efficiently, more profitable for them, and it all has to do with money. So yeah, I'm thinking that it is a combination of things, and I'll have more to say in my closing comments, but that is how it is looking to me, like, because there's so much confusion over how to, how to, um, really diagnose these kids clearly and what's going on that, um, and every group is looking at just their functional area, right? So I think it could be like a combination of things. a look at autism and the central nervous system they're just doing a lot of these new reports and things so but I am finding so many things having to do with the central nervous system and full disclosure I'm not a medical doctor I've never been to medical school I dropped out of college let me see um, I spent one night in jail in this country um, I spent two nights in the psychiatric unit of a hospital in this country, so <laughs> I've spent 25 years trying to convince people that we're surrounded by psychopaths, so this is just my view, okay? And I have no professional affiliation with any of this stuff. I'm just winging it here, okay? Because I keep finding all of these nervous system disorders happening with things, right? Hearts and nervous system. Okay, so I found some work they were doing and somebody did a page on the nervous system and autism. Okay, Autism is a complex disorder of the central nervous system and the condition has a wide range of severity along its spectrum. While the causes of autism are unknown, the nature of the brain disorder appears to be a combination of genetic and environmental factors. The National Institute of Child Health and Human Development lists autism as a nervous system disability along with Down syndrome and Fragile X syndrome. While each is a distinct diagnosis, there are, disabilities, there are disabilities affecting the nervous system and have similarities. So Down syndrome, Fragile X syndrome, and autism. Problems with brain functioning, learning difficulties, behavioral issues, speech and language delays, movement disorders, seizures, sensory processing problems, seizures, People with seizures, that is something that also has to do with the use of hormones. So, and also a lot of these things, for example, I ran across somebody doing some research into trying to figure out if this um, toxic water in this one region was causing Parkinson's because we're, they're looking at all these parts of the brain and it appears to me it mainly hits the central nervous system, right? That's why they... Uh, they also get those wonky eyes. There's a lot of things that tell me this is about the central nervous system, right? And what else impacts the central nervous system, kids? Well, I would say hormones, right? So, okay, the central nerve, the nervous system is a complicated network. And in cases of autism, the system becomes disrupted. 
The disruption leads to changes in the way the brain is wired to process information. The differences can lead to social dysfunction, self-stimulatory behaviors, and language problems. And that comes out of the nervous system, okay? Researchers are trying, okay, trying to find the possible cause of autism, and it appears that some individuals are genetically susceptible to having neurodevelopmental disorder. Among the issues researchers are exploring are inflammation in the brain. Now, inflammation in our hearts, inflammation in our brains, inflammation is the name of the game. So, okay, prenatal inflammation in the brain. A John Hopkins University study found microglia, microglia M-I-C-R-O-G-L-I-A, on astrogilia, brain cells associated with its central nervous system become inflamed in individuals with autism higher than in typical individuals. Cerebral spinal fluid demonstrated an increase in responses in autistic individuals. These findings point to inflammation as a factor in the development of autistic disorders. The National Children's Study is investigating investigating the possibility of inflammation during prenatal development as a risk for disorders like cerebral palsy and autism. Cerebral palsy also about the nervous system. Neotransmitters, let me see here. A study by the University of North Carolina School of Medicine's Department of Cell and Developmental Biology. They say that developing neurotransmitter systems as targets for pesticide and drug exposure. They did that page. Explains the importance of neurotransmitters in neural development in vertebrates. The university is exploring the ramification of prenatal exposure prenatal exposure to pesticides to neurons and receptors in the brain. The university wants to determine whether environmental conditions such as exposure to toxins can lead to problems and blah, blah, blah. Autism has been connected with poor development of the central nervous system. Okay, National Institute of Mental Health is supporting the Autism Genome Project an effort to find genetic and environmental factors that may lead to autistic disorders. Yeah, okay, well, they're getting on it, right? What do they want to do? They want to find genes that make individuals vulnerable to autism, gene interactions that may play a role. Well, I can say, they say autism is a complex disorder of the central nervous system that interferes with the brain's ability to process information. Same way the brain doesn't process how to move your hands and stuff when you have Parkinson's. Autism is a complex disorder of the central nervous system, but does make this, but does this make the condition a disease? Well, there's an argument over whether it's a disease or a disorder. Well, I don't really know. Now, they could have saved themselves billions of dollars in research and asked me because I think it has to do with ingestion of hormones 
and I'll be talking about, and also the ingestion of certain um, chemical elements in the soil and whatnot. So probably a combination of many, many things, but of course, it all shows up in very young developing brains because that's how it works, right? And we have to figure that there's a huge rise in autism. Well, there's also a massive rise in wanting to murder the rest of us. So their efforts have become more and more toxic as time gone on. So I see a lot of contributing factors all having been done by the psychopaths in charge, which supports my theory that the United States is in fact one big experiment. Bottom line, full stop. We're a, full st we're a complete experiment here, and that's why things like autism are sadly cropping up amongst the young children. Part of the plan, not the bug in the system, if you ask me. been talking about things in passing along the way and um, well kind of fits in with the subject today about um, mutants that I see a um, body of um, that they have been distorting our DNA in creating a mutant class of people think of mutant teenage you hear these mutant things okay just go look up how often do you see the term mutant how often do they talk about things like transhumans and stuff? So yeah, so I've been thinking about this mutant thing for a long time and wondering how they have been transposing our DNA. And I came across one highly likely way. Now, I've also talked about, and I still believe this, believe, I don't know, I wasn't there, they've never invited me into the surgery rooms, but I believe it's highly likely that where are we getting all these gay boys from and, you know, manly looking women from? Well, they're messing with our DNA, specifically our hormones, so highly likely that, you know, all newborn babies could be getting a hormone shot of the opposite sex, right? And then they go home to an environment with, you know, sprays in the ground and all that stuff. And they did an interesting study, which leads me to this question today as far as um, how are they making mutant people and stuff, right? Well, this is one possibility. And so cue the um, Twilight Zone music, because this is what I think may be a contender here, okay? This piece is start off and it says, almost all of us go out of the way to avoid harmful toxins and poisons. We wouldn't leave bleach near a toddler, for instance. And most of us know about the dangers of Monsanto Roundup. But what if the toxin is something that's quite hard to escape and we're consuming it unwittingly without knowing exactly what will happen to us? Say hello to atrazine, A-T-R-A-Z-I-N-E, the second most widely used herbicide in the United States behind Glyphosate. Glyphosate is the active ingredient in Roundup. Everybody's always talking about Roundup and Monsanto. But this atrazine is likely just as dangerous and more infamously as an endocrine disruptor. 
While other countries have banned the herbicide, atrazine is still used in American crops and often winds up in our water supply. In fact, it's the most common chemical contaminated in U.S. water supplies, atrazine, okay? This is why they put out these social media things, okay? Get everybody focused in one direction, right? So most people are focused on Monsanto Roundup and not realizing that this other thing, atrazine, is something to truly concerned about. In 2016, the Environmental Protection Agency, EPA, released a preliminary risk assessment, its most damning criticism of the toxin today, but with a public comments date that's been extended from the initial 60-day period. So yeah, um, what exactly is atrazine? So what exactly is atrazine and how is it that although it's quite prevalent in America and contributes to our tap water toxicity, most of us haven't heard of it. So yeah, I only ran into this because I've been concerned about why are we ending up with mutant looking people? And, you know, I've had this theory about the shots in the back of the room, but what about this pesticide too, okay? Atrazine is a herbicide produced by Syngenta, S-Y-N-G-E-N-T-A, a global company based in Switzerland. In the United States, the product is mainly used to kill weeds. It was first registered by the United States Department of Agriculture, the USDA, as an herbicide in 1958. While 90% of atrazine, or 70 million pounds, is used annually in America to prevent weeds in cornfields, atrazine is also used in sugarcane, macadamia nuts, soybeans, schools, parks, playgrounds, guava, athletic fields, evergreen farms, evergreen farms where families buy their Christmas trees. In fact, 65% of sorghum and sugarcane fields are treated with atrazine. It's also used in other products for farming and landscaping purposes, about 200 in total. When Monsanto's Glucosophate came into the scene, the idea was that astrazine use would be reduced. But, become but because crops have become resistant to glyphosate, astrazine is still used as a weed killer, often in conjunction with glyphosate for a toxin double whammy. Having a toxin sprayed on corn and crops is bad enough, but like most pesticides, astrazine doesn't stay only where it's sprayed. It usually ends up on our surface water and groundwater, which is in the drinking water. Nearly 90% of the water tested by the USDA has atrazine residue in it. So, yeah, um, Syngenta, the company behind astrogene, would have you believe that the herbicide is perfectly safe. According to them, astrazine is effective, safe, and integral to agriculture's success in the United States and worldwide. But that couldn't be further from the truth. What happens is when they finally get these things banned is then they sell them full force into developing countries like Africa, China, and around the world. One of atrazine's scariest effects is that it is an endocrine disruptor. 
These are chem chemicals foreign to the human body that after a certain level of exposure disrupt our endocrine, also known as hormonal systems. Endocrine disruptors can cause averse, adverse developmental, reproductive, neurological, and immune effects in people and wildlife. And everybody is running around worrying about the lack of, um, well, advancing in um, reduction in people because of the reduction in um, testosterone and all the things going on. Um, this one, let me say as I have it here, um, one of these researchers that I was looking at, one of these scientists, was talking about this astrazine stuff. And what he said was that um, what they're doing is they're essentially treating something that's not really a symptom. So, for example, if you're getting hit by this astrazine, which all of us are, and it's lowering your um, testosterone, as an example, if you, if you show up at the doctor's office and they see that you have lowered testosterone, giving you testosterone isn't going to really impact the underlying problem. You see what I mean? So, uh, because with, what they do is they just lower the numbers for the test. Like, for example, over the years, tests for um, cholesterol and stuff, what they've done is they just lower the numbers because the goal is to get everybody on cholesterol medicine in this country. So they just play with the numbers. And so, like, this testosterone thing, because of this uh, atrazine, in this country has gotten so bad that what they've been doing is just lowering the numbers. So for example, if regular testosterone for a male, I'm just using random numbers here, let's say it was 500 to 2500 for regular testosterone for a male. It has gotten so alarmingly low that now they're stating that the regular low point is 250. So it's quite a big range between 250 and like 2500, right? So they can see by all these blood tests and stuff what the root cause is, and it is, in fact, likely this atrazine. So this becomes my theory that how they're likely creating um, different sexes, right? They did this study, and um, it confirmed what researchers have been saying for years. Atrazine demasculines and feminizes vertebrate. So, in other words, atrazine has a decrease in male gonadal characteristics because the herbicide shrinks testicles and reduces sperm counts. And it feminizes male gonads. Astrazine can lead to the growth of ovaries in males. So, frogs, they used a study and they did like 30 milliliters, I'm just going off the top of it, 30 millimeters of this stuff that they put, 300 millimeters they put this frogs in, right? Well, we're getting like 2,500, but we're not frogs, we're not in water the whole time, but our levels are quite, quite concerning, quite concerning, okay? So, frogs, they have frogs turning from males into females, means that you can now mate with male frogs, but since the female frogs are still genetically male, their offspring are all male. This leads to a major skewing of the sex ratios in the population. Yeah, so they're finding in these frog studies that it is completely um, able to reduce. Um, the researchers believe these changes occur because atrazine reduces production of male hormones. See, I've been saying this for years. There's a war against men, right? 
uh, it, it reduces the production of male hormones while increasing the effect of estrogen, a female hormone. The astrazine levels that frogs, which change sex, are exposed to is less than what's legally allowed in our water. So, I don't know. Um, women are probably familiar with hearing about estrogen. Raised levels of the hormone increase risk of breast and ovarian cancer. Well, you know, there's all of these rises in all these cancers, and I think we probably could look at astrazine. So, um, let me scan along here. There are several birth defects that have been linked to it. Um, where's the EPA in all of this? Um, year after years of scientists and the public urging the EPA to open its eyes, uh, we are truly on a slow path. In April 2016, the EPA released its risk assessment for atrazine, its first since 2003. The EPA is required to evaluate pesticides approved for use at least once every 15 years. <laughs> once every 15 years. <laughs> Sorry, but yeah. Okay. In those 12 years, enough researchers that come. Well, yeah. So they're supposed to they're supposed to research these things after they approve them. Quite recklessly, I will add, they're supposed to approve them every 15 years. Well. Why do I always say that's the that's the plan, not the bug in the system, right? If they don't find things, if they wait for 15 years, they're likely not to have reports. Okay. The report found that this is a report from 2016 from the EPA that they finally coughed up after the 2003 one. The report found that in areas where atrazine is most used, like the Corn Belt, where I live, <laughs> atrazine in the environment is measured at rates past set levels by concern. 180, very high for fish and birds. Um, there is this biologist who's the first to uncover the atrazine's effect on sex changes in frogs, a man named Tyrone Hayes. He was initially hired by Syngenta in the late 80s to prove that atrazine wasn't harmful. But Hayes ended up uncovering just the opposite. So, yeah, so Sygenta, the makers of this product, hired this guy Hayes to look into the effects of atrazine, and he found out this frog thing, okay? Okay, um, well, sounds like we got a little scam going on here, doesn't it? Okay, um, eliminating atrazine altogether the way the EU did would be ideal. Um, researchers have found opposite what Sygenta claims will surprise, surprise. In fact, it would lead to an increase in corn prices. Yes, we don't want to increase those corn prices now, do we? Instead of crop rotation, all the sensible things. Okay, let me give you a few things you can do about this now that I've horrified the brains out of you. Now, if I had, seriously, if I had a young child in the house, I would hop on this atrazine stuff. I don't know how, how long this end-of-deal-like thing we're going through, uh, you know, <laughs> I don't know what the explosion point is for this grand experiment going on, but there are some things that you can do in the meantime if you have young children in your house, and I would recommend this, okay? What you can do is you can use a water filter, or you try using organic, although organic is still pretty tainted, but yeah, you can use try using organic for infants and using a water filter, because the whole trick is is that 
it gets into the kids little kids brain so yeah there is by you by knowing the word you can look for most of your standard water filters will filter out atrazine a t r a z i n e so yeah the idea in sharing my work is not to send you into a state of panic because obviously this is one big experiment right so i want to go through what kind of people would really do all of this to the rest of us? And also keep in mind, they're also doing it to their own supposed loved ones and people in their own lives, right? Because this atrazine thing is pretty huge. So they have a pretty um, pretty focused effort on wiping out the rest of us while they're, in fact, wiping out themselves, right? So it's kind of a, kind of puts it on kind of a crazy level, doesn't it, when they're so into this in-game thing going on, whether it's called end times or... Whatever, it's, whatever we're looking at here, that they're also exposing themselves to all of these sex-changing things like atrazine. So just something to think about. But yeah, I would take action if you have some very young children in the house would be my suggestion. In a trendy refurbished warehouse district, on a spring night, people gather at a creative space. But they aren't here for wine and sculpture. They're here to hear about frogs. I'm going to tell you a story tonight I call From Silent Spring to Silent Night, A Tale of Toads and Men. And Few biologists have a story like Tyrone Hayes. The largest chemical company in the world, Novartis, asked us to test their number one selling product, atrazine. I never heard of it. That was 1997. And Dr. Hayes quickly began learning about the world's best-selling pesticide. Using African clawed frogs in his research, he came to a controversial conclusion. We found that atrazine had demasculinizing effects on exposed males. So the voice box of the larynx didn't grow properly. Testosterone levels were really low. We eventually found out that sperm production was really low. We also found out that the exposed males could be feminized. They would grow ovaries or grow eggs. It's easy to see why people come to listen to Hayes. He's engaging. Ooh, I know what I'm not drinking tonight. And funny. But he has one simple way of making the connection between his audience and his frogs. So as they tell you what atrazine does to this frog's hormones, you should be thinking about what it does to me, to humans. Atrazine is now the second most widely used pesticide in the U.S. And the EPA has recently drafted a report citing atrazine as a chronic risk, not just for frogs, but mammals, birds, and other wildlife, even when used according to labels. Chemical companies and agriculture associations refute the research, citing the chemical's role in increasing agricultural output and previous studies finding that atrazine is safe. For the University of Nebraska Omaha's Alan Koak, the issue is far larger than a single chemical. We have atrazine in the water in concert with a suite of other chemicals. Sitting just a few miles north of where the Elkhorn meets the Platte before it flows into the Missouri, Kolok's research station is perfectly placed. Every time it rains, there's going to be surface runoff from both the towns and the agricultural areas. All of the water that runs off is, for all practical purposes, passing this point. But it's not just the water he's interested in. 
it's the guano, the sediment that mixes with it and always has. Many chemicals actually adhere to the sediment particles and move downstream associated with the sediment particles themselves. So it's not like we have to get rid of the nasty, ugly sediment to do our work. The sediment is our work. Because spring rains raise the Elkhorn's levels dramatically, grad student Jonathan Ali has the not-so-enviable task of hauling buckets of water back to the lab to recreate field conditions without nature's complications. What they've seen so far in minnows echoes what Tyrone Hayes was finding with frogs, though with a small twist. We see that females exposed are defeminized. So they produce less of the egg yolk protein that they need to produce healthy eggs. You may be thinking, well, who cares about the little fish? On a molecular level, it's not that different. Because the genetic structures of fish and humans are strikingly similar, and the chemical cocktail spilling into our waterways spikes during the growing season, so does Kolok's concern for expectant mothers. If I had a daughter that was pregnant and it was in the spring, I would encourage my daughter to drink filtered water. It's just the cost relative to the potential adverse impacts, the cost is minimal. And again, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with the Omaha drinking water, I'm just saying why take that risk? That risk is what agencies like the EPA are studying. Meanwhile, the Elkhorn River keeps on flowing, transporting whatever glop it picks up along the way. We are all in this together. The days of thinking what happens in my backyard or what happens on my ranch is my business and it doesn't really affect anyone else. It's just not true. some research done in France and what they did was they took samples from children's hair and what they turned up was this one chemical called Folpet, F-O-L-P-E-T. And it was a pretty significant study and these children were all living next to a vineyard. See, it's really not as simple as, oh, it's Monsanto, it's Roundup. Not quite that simple. So anyways, this drug called Folpet. So these researchers took these samples from these children's hair, set it off for analysis, and they came back and Folpet was the um, one thing that stood out the most as far as the um, chemical. So who owns Folpet? Well, Folpet, company named Milpore Sigma, and it is owned by Merrick Darmstadt out of Germany. So the main company is out of Germany, and it operates as Millport Sigma in the United States and Canada. So that's where it works. These names sometimes take me a long time to orientate my brain. Okay, who's under where? So yeah, so it comes out of Germany. Okay, Fulpet was first marketed in the early 1950s. The world production in 1989 is believed to have been in excess of 5,000 tons. So, yeah, full pet is a pretty big deal because it was turning up in all these kids' hair. But according to the um, who, you got to call, they don't seem to see a whole lot of issues with it. But I'm only bringing up 
faux pet because it just goes to show that this particular, um, they use different pesticides for different types of crops. And the reason faux pet showed up was because it is the pesticide that is used for vineyards. Grapes and things like that are one of the things this pesticide works on. So, yeah, um, if you drink wine and you think drinking out of vineyards in France is safe, I, I don't know, I think again. But anyway, this faux pet is not a good thing. Um, it says that, this is according to who are you going to call? The acute toxicity of faux pet for birds is extremely low and is relatively non-toxic for honeybees. Interesting, since all these kids have high levels of autism from it. On the other hand, it is highly toxic for fish. So yeah, toxic for one thing, not toxic for another. Um, faux pet is not persistent, and its use is not considered to constitute a threat to terrestrial life, wildlife. Hmm. The environmental impact of the pesticide is likely, likely to be limited to its high rate of biogradation. Hmm. Well, according to who you're going to call, it looks pretty good, but I don't know. This study was done. These children have high levels of autism, very high levels of autism. Their schools in France were located right next to vineyards where this full pet was being sprayed. So here you go. You always have different sides of the coin, right? Um, some of the scientists, see, this is what happens when you compartmentalize everything. You get some people looking at Roundup, you get some people looking at vaccines, you get other people thinking it's this, and pretty soon you don't have anybody really looking at the whole picture because you've got all these specialized things focusing in on things. So yeah, um, and pr prior to this, let me just put this in here, was of course DDT. And DDT is still hanging around the environment and is a known carcinogen. It was originally developed as an insecticide, um, first synthesized in 1874 by Austrian chemist Altham Ziedler. So, but it's, it's, it's the chemical reaction was discovered by a Swiss chemist in 1939. DDT was used the second half of World War II to limit the spread of the insect-borne diseases malaria and typhus among civilians and troops. Mueller was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize in Physiology or Medicine in 1948 for his discovery of the high efficiency of DDT as a contact poison against several anthropods. Well, in 1945, October, DDT was available for public sale in the United States, although it was promoted by government and industry for use as an agriculture and household pesticide, there were also concerns about its use from the beginning. Opposition to DDT was focused by the 1962 pu publication of a book called Silent Spring. It talked about environmental impacts that correlated with the widespread use of DDT in agriculture in the United States and questioned the logic of broadcasting potentially dangerous chemicals into the environment with little prior investigation of their environment and health effects. Well, gee, isn't that funny? Uh, she writes this book in 1962. They're questioning putting this stuff into the environment. Hmm. Well, they always question things, don't they? And then what they do is, I'm pretty sure, and I don't know this for a fact, okay, 
the majority of these chemicals like DDT, once people get wise to them in certain countries, then what happens is they get sold to third world countries. So the production factor really never goes down. But what they did find, um, they said there was a worldwide ban on our agricultural use was formalized under the Stockholm Convention on Persistent Organic Pollutants, which had been in effect since 2004. So a worldwide ban in 2004, I don't know, what are you going to guess? DDT is still in a lot of places in third world countries. I mean, do you really think these people are inspecting? But what happened along with the passage of the Endangered Species Act, the United States ban on DDT, the ban on DDT in this country was in 1972, okay, supposedly. Uh, a major factor in the comeback of the bald eagle came back after the ban on DDT. Well, good for them, right? I think, and I'm just thinking, and I don't know this for a fact, but I find all these things always have multiple name changes, right? Like they have cooked up like probably about a hundred names to hide the name of sugar, right? So, um, but what was interesting here, let me see, yeah, they've known that DDT was a problem since the very beginning, and they continued to use it up until 1972, and the reason I'm talking about DDT, I did have a purpose here, was because what they're allegating now, even after it was supposedly banned in 72, was that, um, they're still using it to kill mosquitoes, supposedly. So I'm not saying that DDT is really gone anywhere, right? Um, what they're finding is that um, some people, they're finding it at high levels of breast milk and things that are still existing right now, and they're thinking that it happened from the overall lingering effect of DDT because these things have some pretty drastic things. So if you want to know more, look up DDT. So yeah, supposedly it's been banned in the United States, but the thing with DDT lives on as far as um, the conditions and diseases that seem to still be cropping up because they do know how to, um, okay, let me see what the WHO say here, a WHO study released in January of 2008 found that mass distribution of insecticide treated mosquito nets and anti-semerson I don't know what that, and some base drugs cut malaria deaths in half in malaria bird Rwanda and Ethiopia. Um, and also DDT is a hormone disruptor. That was why I was looking at DDT because it is still disrupting hormones to this day. They're finding it in different studies. So yeah, um, it's pretty crazy how long it can hang around and disrupt the hormones. So it seems to me like all the things that can di disrupt hormones were, were pretty generally used with, oh, I don't know, just reckless abandon, if you ask me. But hey, that's why we have to take a look at these things, right? Place I love to be, where the air is wild and free. It's a little haven just for me. I can let my hair down and be me. Just a smile for a start. And it only takes a spark to begin the fire in your heart. Wouldn't you agree? Hello, listener. This is Hachi. I hope you are enjoying the show. We would like you to consider supporting us so as to keep giving you interesting contents. 
take a time out to check out the support page on the website and please consider making a kind donation we would appreciate any little support thank you I think about consumer health every day as a part of my job, but it goes well beyond that because I'm a consumer too. I'm a mother, I have a family. Um, I want to save food supply, and I also want products in my house and those that I use in my yard to be safe. And Roundup is something that we use in my own yard. Roundup and glyphosate products are vital to farmers around the world, and not only large-scale farmers, but also vital to smallholder farmers. As a scientist, it's very disappointing seeing all of this misinformation about glyphosate online because it is scaring people. Misinformation is beginning to dominate this space, and I'm very concerned about the consequences that this will have for agriculture. I think it's totally understandable that people have questions about glyphosate. What I want people to understand is glyphosate's been around over 40 years. It's been reviewed and re-reviewed by global authorities. Regulatory authorities have reviewed and re-reviewed glyphosate and have consistently concluded that it does not cause cancer. You know, a lot of the information that's available online or, or even in some news coverage is disconnected from the science underlying the safety of this product. I think that a lot of times uh, people don't understand the regulatory process, um, how robust that process is, how many studies we are re required to conduct, how the regulators look at the quality of the studies, and they are the ones that evaluate all that data to determine the safety of the products. The confusion about glyphosate and cancer stems from uh, one opinion by a group called IARC. IARC evaluated a, a very limited um, set of information and is in stark contrast with uh, global regulatory authorities who look at what IARC did and a lot more. Um, and those authorities consistently conclude that glyphosate does not cause cancer. After IARC made its announcement, regulators around the world went back and checked their work to make sure that they had their answer right. And since that time, we've had reviews in the US, Canada, Europe, Japan, Australia, New Zealand, all around the world. And the, the conclusion of those regulators has been that IARC was wrong and that glyphosate does not cause cancer. The jury has this human sense of empathy towards a patient who's very sick. I and my colleagues at Bayer are very empathetic to the patients as well. They're looking for an answer for why they got cancer. And what I know from treating people who have had cancer is that they are searching for a reason as to why they have their disease. Um, what I can confidently say is that glyphosate does not cause cancer. Glyphosate and glyphosate products like Roundup do not cause cancer. Okay, let's talk about BPA. You probably notice on things, it says stuff like BPA-free. Well, if you're like me, you may not have completely known what that meant, but I kind of saw it out of the side of my eye, if you know what I mean. So many crimes, so little time. So what does BPA really mean? Um, it's supposedly been removed from things. 
BPA was first discovered by Russian chemist Alexander Dyanski in 1891. Little was done with the chemical until workers at a German pharmaceutical company discovered that it could be combined with epichrohydrin in 1934. This led to further discoveries in the 50s that it could be used to create polycarbonate plastics, a strong, lightweight, shatterproof, durable, heat-resistant, and cheap plastic. Yes, as a matter of fact, the introduction of these plastics wiped out pretty significant businesses that were involved in the pottery business in this country because plastic became the rage. Well, I wonder why plastic became the rage. Well, let me see here. Huh. Huh, huh, huh. They got BPA in everything, but now it's not supposed to be in anything. And interesting aside, aside um... Well, let me get to this part first. It's called bisophenol A, also known as BPA, is a plastics chemical invented nearly 120 years ago and currently used in enormous amounts to manufacture hard plastic water bottles and to make epoxy lining of metal food cans, like those for canned infant formula. Hmm. Although its long-time use in consumer products has come with assurances of its safety from industry, studies conducted over the past 20 years now show that it is not only a ubiquitous pollutant in the human body, it contaminates nearly 93% of the U.S. population, but is also a potent development toxin at very low doses. In the 1930s, there was the first evidence of BPA toxicity. Scientists discovered that BPA is an artificial estrogen. Huh. Now, I wonder why its use as a pharmaceutical hormone is precluded by the invention of another synthetic chemical, DES, with even more potent estrogen pro- properties. DES was later taken off the market when it was linked to reproduction cancers in girls born to mothers taking DES during pregnancy. In retrospect, an early warning signal for the similar toxic properties, confirmation for BPA was many years later. So yeah, many years later after all this stuff, um, well, it was evidence as toxic in the 1930s, okay. But why was BPA and artificial estrogen. Gee whiz. And you have all these unhappy children, all these unhappy people. Could it be that, you know, a woman being given testosterone in massive numbers secretly by the government could possibly throw off the brain? Like, you know, you're you're in the wrong body, but you really don't know why you're feeling this way? Okay, so, um... And always, once again, uh, the... EU, Europe banned the use of BPA baby bottles back in 2011. 2011 was not that long ago. It was like 11 years ago. Okay, and it's further banned for other areas. Okay, what are the things I have here? Well, it's horrible for your health. It disrupts your chemicals. Um, and here's the catch. If you're, if you're concerned about 
water, and I talk about this um, chemical that's in our water, atrovine, in a, in a bit, or maybe before this, I don't know, but if you're concerned about water and you have like an infant or a child um, and you want to use a, um, there are methods to screen some of these toxins out of your water for that child. What you may want to do is store in glass, do not store in plastic. Because here's my understanding, and keep in mind, I certainly am not a scientist, and I struggle with this stuff. But this is, this is, this is what makes sense, okay? Um, because BPA is very harmful for the environment, and um, it's also been the, the reproductive rates of fish up to three generations, and it's been, it BPA has officially been linked to autism in mice. Now, how they know a mouse has autism? don't have a clue there. All I'm saying is that they banned it, you know, not that long ago, but it still has lingering things going on. So if you're if you're extra concerned about things, you definitely want to store in glass because one of these chemists said this. Now I don't know if this is true or not. Please look for yourself. He said this was a chemist that was talking about um, he was talking about the, the frogs, you know, how the frogs become men and women. Um, he said that uh, BPA was, BPA, when it was banned, not that long ago, it was replaced by BPF. And he said, now I did not confirm this, I'm not saying this is a fact, but it certainly makes sense. He said that BPF replaced BPA and it was far worse than BPA. So buyer beware is all I'm trying to indicate here. I'll, not trying to diagnose or tell you what to do, just buyer beware because whenever they get rid of one thing, it's always replaced by something equally toxic and the thing they got rid of usually always shifts to some other country that doesn't have the same regulations or ability to track these things, right? So it always, find, it always continues in the market. The market keeps selling this stuff to other countries who haven't enforced things. So that is how this works. So just, just pay attention to how some of these deals. So don't think you're running from BPA right into the hands of BPF. That's what I'm suggesting here. It's time to say goodbye. I certainly hope that you have found some interesting things about the show and that you will continue on doing a little bit of your own research. There's a lot of other things they're finding about these chemicals, the rising increase of cancer in children and adults, lots of problems with cancer in farm countries, so this thing could go on for hours and days. But it all seems to be attacking our nervous system and it seems to be attacking with hormones. Remember, these are the same people that only, oh, I don't know, what was it in the last month or two, they came out and said that there is no such thing as a chemical imbalance. Well, I am handicapped because they claimed that I had a chemical imbalance and put me on those helpful antidepressants and pills, which eventually took me down. So yes, we don't have chemical imbalances. These people do not really have a clue what they're doing because they went from the 70s until 2022 time frame 
telling us that we had chemical imbalances, information they clearly pulled out of the air, okay? So they do a lot of that stuff. That's how they play this game. That's why they come up with these lies on social media that everybody lobs onto about transhumans are out to get you. Nick's saying transhumans will be running things. Robots are going to come in and do things. Remember, it's all a game of bluff, okay? <clears throat> it is a game of bluff to make themselves look more powerful and us look weaker. And unfortunately, we have willingly taken the weaker position in all of this. Don't be a coward. So, um, and just because I like to have, um, oh, let me do this first. This stuff with hormones, um, disrupting our hormones with all these pesticides and all this stuff. Right now, as of today, thanks to the marvels of Silicon Valley, kiddos can now go online to an online pharmacy and order whatever level of hormones they choose to take. For example, I follow all these kids, okay? I hear their stories. For example, I have heard a bunch of them talk about going into Planned Parenthood. And what literally happens is these kids go out and find out what levels of testosterone, these are usually girls, and another thing, since we're talking about autism, what I'm finding, and remember, no research is being done, so it's just what I am finding is a alarming number of these children who decide to become transgender are girls, number one, and a large percentage of them appear to me to have issues with autism. So autism is a leading thing in this flipping the children's thing. But the use of hormones with these kids is so rampant and so out of control that, for example, that they'll go into Planned Parenthood for their testosterone. These are girls, right? And they'll get one prescription for, let's say, testosterone 500 or whatever. And they will then tell the person writing the prescription that, no, 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 I don't want the 500, I want the 1,000. And that person, in fact, changes that prescription based on what that child tells them they want. So if you're walking away from this show thinking anything is organized about these hormones, you, you're not listening to the same show because nothing is organized about these hormones. It is just a big, big confusing game they have going on. And we are, in fact, the test subjects, right? So, yeah, so they say a lot of things. They talk about all these high-powered weapons. Do they really have them? Who knows, right? Knowing these people, they got the taxpayer money to so-called manufacture these weapons. But do we really think they actually manufacture them? I don't know. Were you there? I wasn't there. So anyway, so, and because I like to deal in weirdo things, there's a guy named Gottlieb, G-O-T-T-L-I-E-B. And you might have heard me talk about Gottlieb in the show about MK7, because Gottlieb was the CIA agent, okay, who was the one who introduced LSD into the picture, okay, so the name Gottlieb. So all this time, I've been wondering, because remember, this is all an elite game, okay? What they do is they put their people into these different positions. And if we had some help with genealogy, I could probably tell you exactly who the 1% is. But Gottlieb, okay, Gottlieb shows up to me in my research 
during the MK7, right, right? Where else did I hear the name Gotlib? Well, I kept hearing the name Gotlib because during the Trump days, the head of the FDA was a person named Scott Gotlib, okay? Stanley Gotlib was the person who was involved with the CIA, and he was, in fact, a CIA agent. Now, how this makes sense in my world is this, because where I'm going next with closer identifying who these people are, what I found is that the original people who were part of the CIA for the United States were, in fact, their own elite recruits. So the head of the CIA was funded with recruits. And what they claim is that this Goatlip person, Stanley Goatlip, who did the LSD thing, what they claim was that he wasn't part of that group, that he was an outsider, okay? So then, roll forward, we have this other Goatlip person showing up. Well, Goatlip. Who's Goatlip? The original Stanley Goatlip, the one with the LSD, he was born to Hungarian Jewish immigrant parents, Fanny and Louise Goatlip, in the Bronx on August the 3rd, 1918. His older brother was plant biologist David Gotlib. A stutterer since childhood, he earned his master's degree in speech therapy from San Jose State University after retiring from the CIA. He was born with a club foot, which got him rejected from military service in World War II. Okay, now I'm going to laugh here, okay? Because no one likes a backstory better than I do. So, he was rejected from military service in World War II, but that did not prevent him from pursuing folk dancing with his club foot, which was his lifelong passion. Well, okay, clearly, goat lip person, this was early hormone stuff, okay? We were not just born with club feet unless some intervention happens. So, this guy, goat lip, okay? Then... Um, so I never could find a connection between Stanley Gottlieb and Scott Gottlieb. Scott Gottlieb was the FDA person under Trump. Then he went on to become a board or some high person at Pfizer, okay? Because they all connect somehow, right? Well, I ran across somebody who had looked more heavily into it than I had, okay? And he went on to say, Stanley Gottlieb is an interesting individual, but according to one FOIA request, that was Freedom of Information request, on the Black Web, the Black Vault website, a Stanley, perhaps Scott's father, was at one time hired as a CIA operative, and that would be Stanley, who connects directly with the um, LSD thing in MK7, right? So, clearly, um, this person did a lot of work, okay? And what they do is they go in and they scrub these... Um, they have one of their agents, and all one of their agents does is does their um, genealogy stuff, right? And that's how, that's how they identify themselves, through their genealogy, just like how they keep track of their records with Wikipedia. So this guy's been trying hard to figure out if Stanley Golub is, in fact, related to Scott Golub. And he said that... Um, he said there's a lot of circumstantial evidence that would point to yes. However, at the time, it's being inconclusive. He said, I've run a digital marketing agency for 16 and a half years, 
and I'm also very experienced in genealogy. I'm known for finding out things anybody I'm I'm known for finding out anything about anyone online. So the fact that I can't find anything about an actual clue is more suspicious than anything. I think the family is trying to stay distance from Sydney. So yeah, they all connect. All of these people connect. Every single one of them connects. Um and we could connect them with genealogy. So anyway, so um because Scott Goatlip, he's still with the, with Pfizer, okay. Now let me get to the other story here. All these weapons they say they have, right? All these weapons they're sending to Ukraine? Well, looks like they're not keeping track of them. Okay, Washington, D.C. From the most transparent administration in American history, according to Biden, he'll be the most transparent, they find that one item has largely been buried by the mainstream media. This week, this would be the week of that we're in now, um, or maybe, well, in this last few months, okay. The State Department announced that the World Military Expenditures and Arms Transfers Report, which has been published for over 50 years, will no longer be produced. What they did was they buried it under the National Defense Authorization Act for fiscal year 2022 under Section 5114. Under that, um, what the federal law was, the federal law was stated that no later than December 31st of each year, the Secretary of State shall publish an unclassified report on world military expenditures and arms transfers. Such reports shall provide detailed, comprehensive, and statistical information regarding military expenditures, arms transfers, armed forces, and related economic data for each country of the world. So in other words, this is pretty pretty detailed report about where all the U.S. weapons went, right? In addition, such report shall include pertinent, in-depth analysis as well as highlights with respect to arms transfers and proliferation trends and initiatives affecting such developers. Now, things are changing. The State Department will no longer be reporting these transfers and expenditures after the language was buried inside the most recent National Defense Authorization, also known as the NDAA. And I talk about the NDAA in the show I did about how food will control us. Go look at that. Pretty big deal. Pretty big deal. Anyway, so um, what they're doing is, um, what the, this is what the actual announcement said. The announcement read, the National Defense Authorization Act for fiscal year 2022 repealed the 1994 statutory provision that required the Department of State to publish an edition of WMAT, W-M-E-A-T, every year. Consistent with this repeal, the Department of State will cease to produce and publish WMAT. Funny, they're just stopping to produce it, right? Where is the outrage? Where is everybody yelling? How is this happening? What's going on? Well, I don't know. 
I think that we're run by psychopaths, but I've been saying this for close to 25 years now. They are clearly not Jews. They are psychopaths pretending to be Jews. They are all around us. There's not that many of them, but somehow they have convinced us that they're so powerful, so forceful that they're making transhumans, when in reality, they can't even make chemicals. And the chemicals are so toxic that they're actually poisoning themselves. Now, does any of this stuff make any sense to any of you kids? It makes zero sense to me, but it's all about their plan to take over. And it seems like a pretty weak attempt, if you ask me, because I don't know. Where are the transhumans? Where's all this wonderful technology? Where are all these fast, high-powered weapons? What's going on? It looks to me like we've been taken. And I will be doing shows on Tuesdays. I wasn't very clear when I said I was returning to doing shows on Tuesdays. I will be doing shows on most Tuesdays, but not every single Tuesday. So look for me on Tuesdays. Be there or be square. See you on Tuesdays. Until then... Be safe out there. Be kind to others. It's a pretty vicious world we're stepping into here, kids. Open those eyes up. If you see somebody behaving in a way that you may appear to appear odd, there could be a lot of things going on. Don't try to be a mind reader. Just try to focus on love. Scientists have been studying autism spectrum disorder for the better part of a century, and yet there's one thing that they just can't seem to figure out. Why the brains of people with autism develop differently. But because it's more common in boys, some researchers have long suspected that testosterone levels in the womb are the key. The only problem is their evidence has come up short. But it turns out they may have been looking at the wrong hormones. Just this week, a team of scientists at the University of Cambridge and the State Serum Institute in Denmark announced that they've identified a link between autism and a different sex hormone. Estrogen. And while that might sound like the complete opposite of what you'd expect for something more prevalent in boys, it actually lines up with our understanding of autism better than you'd think. Autism spectrum disorder affects about one in every 59 children, but even after correcting for underdiagnosis and misdiagnosis, it's roughly three times more likely in boys than in girls. Girls with autism also generally have fewer autistic traits than boys. And all that may imply that there's some kind of connection between autism and the physiological differences that generally come with a Y chromosome. Some have even suggested that autism is basically what happens when you take typically male neurological traits and dial them up to 11. This is what's known as the extreme male brain theory of autism. Now, it's important to note that this doesn't mean that autistic people are super masculine overall. It just means that they have more of the traits that you see more frequently, on average, in the brains of men. And the differences we're talking about are very small. Studies consistently show that men and women are more psychologically similar than they are different. But there are some traits that, again, on average, are more common or more pronounced in the brains of people with a Y chromosome or who identify as men. And it does seem like these traits are amplified in people with autism. To give one example, the brains of men tend to have weaker connectivity in the brain's default mode network. That's a group of brain regions that's most active when you're not focused on the outside world. And it turns out that both men and women with autism have even lower connectivity in this region than the average neurotypical man. Because there does seem to be some merit to this extreme male brain idea, researchers have suggested that the biological pathways involved in the development of typical 
genetically masculine traits might be at the root of autism. And all that traces back to fetal sex differentiation, the biological cues that lead to the development of typically masculine or feminine traits. So in recent years, researchers have begun to look for clues to autism in fetal development and the conditions fetuses experience in utero. And at first, many thought androgens, the hormones involved in typically male traits, might be to blame, which makes intuitive sense. But the thing is, studies on prenatal testosterone levels alone, which is arguably the most important androgen, have found no relationship between it and autistic features. Then, in a study published in 2015, Cambridge and Danish researchers found elevated levels of several sex hormones in the amniotic fluid of male fetuses that went on to develop autism. And while that did include testosterone and another androgen, it also included progesterone, a so-called female hormone, which got the researchers thinking that maybe they needed to widen their scope. Which brings us to estrogen. Estrogen actually refers to a group of hormones, which includes estriol, estradiol, estrone, and estetrol, none of which were tested in this 2015 study. And these so-called female hormones are very important for fetal development regardless of sex. Estradiol in particular contributes a lot to brain development. It helps to form and prune neurons and synapses, and it regulates the activity of the neurotransmitter GABA. In the brains of people with autism, synapse and neuron formation and GABA regulation are all atypical. So it might make sense that estrogen levels in the womb could play a role in the development of autism too. To find out, those same researchers returned to the amniotic fluid samples they used in their 2015 study. These initially came from the Danish Historic Birth Cohort, which is a set of biological samples from more than 100,000 pregnant people collected between 1980 and 2004, who were followed up with to monitor the children's health over time, including whether they were diagnosed with autism. The researchers ended up with amniotic fluid samples from 98 males with autism and 177 neurotypical males. They then analyzed the samples for various forms of estrogen. And lo and behold, they found that elevated levels of estradiol, estriol, and estrone were all associated with an autism diagnosis. Estradiol had the biggest effect. A rise in this hormone from the 25th to the 75th percentile came with an almost 50% increase in the likelihood of autism. That's a lot more of an effect than has ever been seen with androgens. Now, it may sound strange that estrogen, of all things, could lead to a so-called extreme male brain. But remember, estrogens do a lot of different things to a developing fetus, depending on the tissues and the development period. And they're not exclusively a female thing. In fact, maternal estrogen levels are higher throughout pregnancy no matter what sex the fetus is. What this study suggests is that high levels of estrogen, at least at about 15 weeks gestation, might lead to differences in brain development. As for why estrogen levels are higher at that time, the researchers suggested the placenta might have something to do with it. It acts as a hormone regulator between mom and fetus, and it's the fetus's main source of estrogen. Plus, placental issues and autism risk often go hand in hand, and they also disproportionately affect male fetuses. But why that is, is unclear. And there's a lot we don't understand about the interplay between parent, fetus, and placenta when it comes to hormones. So the researchers want to further untangle what's going on. But all that said, the research didn't find that amniotic fluid hormones perfectly predict autism. That's probably because both genes and hormones are at play. Like, high levels of estrogen might interact with particular gene variants to affect the way the brain forms. Also, the researchers have made it clear that they're not interested in making some kind of screening test for autism. As the lead researcher said, they want to understand autism, not prevent it. One major drawback to this study is that it was only 
only in male fetuses, so it's unclear whether the findings hold true for everyone. At the time, the team simply didn't have enough samples to do these tests for female fetuses because the prevalence of autism is so much lower in them, but they hope to get those samples in the future. And the findings are still correlational. There may be some as-of-yet unidentified factor that impacts amniotic hormone levels and the likelihood of an autism diagnosis. Still, it suggests that researchers may have overlooked key components in the development of autism by focusing on typically male things like testosterone. And they're gonna have to look at everything if they want to get to the bottom of this century-old mystery. My name is Achi. I'm from Nigeria. I am the producer of the show. We would like to take this time out to thank you for your continued listenership and support towards the show. However, this past couple of months, it's been increasingly difficult to produce the show. We would like to solicit for your support so as to keep the show running. 
Please consider any kind donation you can make, big or small. We would appreciate anything that you offer. The donation link can be found on the website. Thank you. Oh, 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 oh,